Welcome to Interviews with Innocence, a podcast about spirituality, consciousness, and exploring the wisdom our children bring into this world. I believe that our very young children are our greatest teachers. After all, they're the masters of living in the present moment, bubbling in unconditional love, enjoying the messiness of life, and curious about the universe in all its dimensions. The pure essence that young children exhibit lives within all of us. My hope is that these interviews will help us discover, embrace, and connect with the sacred core of childhood that resides within each of our hearts. I am your host, Marla Hughes. As I mentioned last week, I will be reading some a diary from Paul and Amber. Paul and Amber um, live in Poland. They are Poles and they have taken in between 28 and 35 refugees, which they call guests because that's what they consider them, guests. And what what the experience has been like, these, these guests are from the Ukraine, those that have come over. And so we will begin. Tuesday, March 8th. 2022. My ex-husband called this morning to see if he could help by sending money and spreading the word in San Diego. He asked, tell me about a typical day. What an interesting turn turn of phrase as there is no typical day. Getting coffee and starting a fire in the downstairs fireplace is where typical ends. But one does look forward to the coffee and the warmth of the fire, dare I say, we count on it. In a world where counting on anything is a precarious business. 28 refugees in your house quickly converts a person's thinking from the theoretical to the actual. No longer do I speak in the abstract. Every night as I climb into bed, I am struck by the visceral and the practical in each minute of my day. I never knew one could contain so many emotions and complexes in one body. And then to multiply that by 28 is what the house and the land must support. And then remembering the Nazis that drove up the driveway in 1940 to take Sophia and Kristoff to Ravensbrück and Majdanek, respectively, is the atmosphere of Sichau. While there is no actual threat to Poland, the Poles and the Ukrainians share the same memories of an ancestral past, which is still tangible, real, not imagined. We have six families, including one pregnant woman expecting her first child, four other children, and two teenagers. We have a six-year-old master chess player who is a Ukrainian national treasure. She took subtle delight, though measured in her display of confidence as she has impeccable manners and clearly didn't want to boast to beating the socks off Paul. She takes the game of chess quite seriously, and yet she had a slightly turned up smile during the game, which set the tone from the first move who the winner would be. Poor Paul was massacred. He turned the king on his side. He fell on his sword. Still, she insisted on shaking hands at the finish. She carries her baby dolls around and makes eye, direct eye contact with you. She doesn't run from anything. She plays the recorder like 
I'm sorry about pronouncing this name, Zbigniew Presnier. The women rake leaves, cook and clean with a formidable commitment. There is no hesitation. They make soup like a 15th C alchemist. I don't know why there are some women who really come out of their rooms, the older ones. I don't know whose husband is alive and whose husband is dead. I do know that most have lost their homes, and in some cases, their pets they had to leave behind. I don't know about their friends. I do know that their lives are changed forever. Home is no more. Now they have to cling to each other and rely on the goodness of strangers. They must eventually consider who will be the best host country, who will take them, what language will be the easiest to learn, who will have work. They have the daunting task of rebuilding their lives and perhaps with an incomplete family. Daria is expecting her first child, a little girl. Daddy is moving around the Ukraine. Will she start off life with them or will she grow up with only stories told about him? For the past near 20 years, I have told the story of Rose and Henry Kinowitz and how they arrived in Scotland with only the clothes on their backs, without a penny to their names. This is Amber's mother and father-in-law. Every morning I look into the eyes of this memory, the memory of my mother-in-law, a memory of all who made it out of Poland in 1945 alive. There are half laughs, moist eyes, deep sighs, distant looks. Every morning there is something to touch, something real, something tangible, some practicality that needs addressing, a pair of shoes, a needle and thread, a pair of slippers, a bottle brush, cough drops. Do I pray? Of course I pray. Do I know there are angels around us? Of course I do, because there are. I just no longer think about the women as I did the women from Yemen and Syria, who I thought about with great concern, but only thought about, only imagined and theorized about. Today, I have coffee with this woman, these women, the Ukrainian women, and we just sit together. Very few words are exchanged, but the care and the love at that table, the power in it is enough to give birth to a new star. All women and children all over the world who have been forced to flee their homes, their lives because of the tyranny of evil sits in spirit with us. I will be writing this diary during the week when time permits. I think it's important. Amber. Tomorrow, dignity and shame, how we receive a humanitarian crisis. Wednesday, March 9th, 2022. Vladislava was relieved today to wake up and learn that her apartment had still not been bombed and her cat was still alive though hungry. A friend from the West drove to Kharkiv to put food out for her wee creature. Today is good. Two mothers and their children arrived about two hours ago from Sumi where they dodged bullets and bombs to make their connection with the driver who took them to the West where they were able to cross the border into Poland. They are staying for one night before continuing on to Germany. 
We have a few local Polish women who work here and one gets on my nerves badly. She's a good worker, as pleasant as she is, as unpleasant as she is, with the exception of stealing alcohol, which I now put under lock and key, as I have said, a good worker. But we live in a small community and being an old Hungian, I remember a story that Marie-Louise von Franz told when she and her family moved into a small village when she was still just a child. The neighbor's son came to the door to declare that his father was a kleptomaniac, but otherwise perfectly harmless. He reassured them that when something went missing to please let him know and he would return it as soon as he found it. As an adult, von Franz became the leading authority on fairy tales, their meaning a superior analyst and a protege of Carl Jung. She cites this story because she feels we need to learn how to live together again without labeling each other or institutionalizing those who struggle and are challenged within themselves. And as annoying as living next door to a kleptomaniac without limitations must have been, she said her father laughed it off and he lived alongside this peculiar peculiarity for quite some time. It's a successful way to integrate the shadow. And if we are in a small community and accept these things about others, then the collective group is likelier, healthier. This story has a point. Today, the woman who annoys me so badly told Paul that some of the Ukrainian women were helping themselves to too much of the food. There are some things that make me want to load up. After all, I am from Texas. I suppose it's in my nature. Fortunately, I have poor vision. What's on many a mind in the Polish countryside is the story that asks, who among the Ukrainians is rich? Are there Ukrainians who have a car, for example? How much is the car worth? We had four women drive from the Ukraine, so their cars are of particular interest. By the way, this is not a foreign topic of conversation in the cities either. It's an extraordinary phenomenon that the suspicion sets up early. To begin, there's a language barrier. Add to that a lot of assumptions and narrow-mindedness, and suddenly you have an inferior group of people called refugees, immigrants, who are going to take away our jobs, our money, overwhelm our cities, and result in the ruination of our economy. There is an attitude among those who are inclined to such attitudes. For example, to buy the cheapest cuts of meat, the block cheeses with no flavor, mealy apples and old vegetables good enough for soup. These refugees don't need anything new. They will survive on donations and canned fish. Si Chao is full of the most interesting people. We have artists, musicians, our little six-year-old chess player, financial planners, and probably a teacher or two. In time, I will discover such things about our guests, but for now, they are my guests. How is it that the human being can so quickly fall into fault-finding, accusation, reproach, denunciation? It must be driven by fear. That's where dignity and shame come into play. The government doesn't help the situation by any means. 
and the headmaster of the school next door is upset with us because there has been a border dispute raised about the property since it fell into ruin and was neglected by the communists for decades after the war. I mention this because he acquired several boxes of donations, which may or may not have helped us, but at any rate, he moved them on and was asked by a local government employee why he didn't share them with us. He said it would be because of a border dispute. The clothes weren't per me. Thus, I refuse to call them refugees. They are my guests. They are in equal territory and have something to teach me. I can learn from their lives. When Vladislava was leaving our conversation today, she said, you know, we don't think in terms of dates or days of the week anymore. We think in terms of war. It's been 14 days since the start of the war. Tomorrow will be 15. I'm going to read one more day and then I'll continue next week. March 11th, 2022, day 16. This was the welcome speech at the general meeting yesterday where Paul was recognized. I want to welcome each of you and tell you that it is an honor for Paul and I to receive you here at Si Chao here in our home. I'm sorry, this is what they were telling the guests that were staying at their home. We consider you as our guests and we are here to serve you. As a mother and woman, I am particularly passionate about your comfort and your well-being, in particular about your specific needs. I'm also very aware of the need for you to maintain your own sense of dignity, way of living, and routine as best as is possible under the circumstances. Paul and I are here to help with that. There are a few things that will be discussed today that will hopefully make our lives together a bit more united. Finally, it is of great importance to me that for as long as you're here, you feel the freedom of protection and safety for yourselves and for your children. We are community now, even if only for a little while or a long while. Being in a community means that every voice is important. Please do not hesitate to ask for what you need and to share your feelings if you so desire. I have fallen in love with Ukrainian women. I think you are formidable. Thank you for coming into my life with great respect, Amber. We achieved a lot as a group, setting up rotas for cooking, keeping the fireplaces stocked and burning, getting the children organized for school and information on passports, pieces, and so forth. We offered psychological help, but nobody raised their hand. Sadly, though, everyone in that meeting is suffering to some degree from PTSD. I think you will agree how this following development in the community supports my observation. When I came home today from the store, I was met with Marina, who could hardly speak through the floods of tears. She took me upstairs to where her things had clearly been tossed into the hallway. Natasha is the woman with whom she had been sharing a room and the one who threw her things into the hallway. They know each other through Marina's boyfriend, who is Natasha's son. Because of the language bearer, all I could understand was Marina had been accused of kicking Natasha's dog. It took me a bit of negotiation to get Marina's phone and her shoes back from the room, but when I managed to do so, 
Iruk relocated her to the palace where she is spending the next few days. The palace is what we call Stefan's house. It's an old 18th sea manor home. In Polish, a dwar, D-W-O-R. One of the things that Marina kept saying over and over again is, I can do this. I'm in control. I'm in control. I can do this. I'm in control. She is not in control. She is in shock and she is traumatized. And now she has jumped onto one of these volunteer sites where people to offer to take you to various parts of Europe, usually the cities where there is no promised work. She has been offered such a ride to the Netherlands and actually been guaranteed work to which she cannot say what type of work because in fact, it is non-existent work. She has no permit and would have to register in the Netherlands and follow very tight protocols to enter such a situation. In theory, it would be a good idea for her to be in a city, but to run off to where she knows no one is not a good idea. She has no place to stay, no money, no job and knows no one. I think I will ask for a translator and see if we cannot somehow reach some sort of reconciliation together. I am frightened because of the human trafficking network whose perpetrators pluck young girls from Eastern Europe and Marina is a classic catch. She's 22, wide-eyed, pretty, naive, and comes for a broken home. Her vulnerability makes her an easy target. I'm worried about Marina and can only promise to write when I know something more. I think what strikes me most from the point of view as a witness to the trauma of war and its effects on, effect on people is how far reaching and elaborate the system of destruction, disruption. This young girl has now not only escaped the shelling of her neighborhood in Kharkiv, but her boyfriend has abandoned her in favor of the mother's side of the story. She thinks she is alone, but as long as she is here, she is not alone. I can see in her eyes that she's not ready to leave, and I want to protect her until we can find a suitable solution. She confessed that she is very nervous and unsettled when there is conflict, and all she wants to do is run and run and run. I assured her that conflict, conflict resolution and the finesse of such things can only be learned. They do not come to us naturally. I gave her a warm hug and shared that I'm now in my senior years and conflict resolution is still a challenge, but I'm learning. There is quite a misconception among the young that everyone else has their life in order, everyone except them. What I did tell her is that most people on the planet are besieged by internal chaos. She is not alone. We will see how tomorrow unfolds. Anticipating day 17. Wow. I think these stories are so I know these stories are so incredibly important for all of us to hear. Paul and Amber are, are angels and I, I am speechless. So I will continue next week. Um, and if you have any questions or anything, please reach out to me. Thank you so much. And sending love hope,
grace to the beautiful people of Ukraine. Amen. I just wanted to share that in the show notes, I will be putting um, Amber and Paul's bios just for you to read about them and their backgrounds because they're both fascinating people. And also the information if you would like to make a donation to their fund helping um, the Ukrainian people. Thank you.